Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 84. Okay, here's the deal. So I had some amazing interviews on the books for October, November, December. And because of the heightened COVID risk, um, a bunch of those interviews have been canceled. Um, I'm, I'm still doing a couple with masks with um, people who are a little bit lower risk. Um, but because so many of my interviews have been canceled, what I've decided to do is take the month of December off. So I've got a, I've got a couple of interviews kind of in the pipe um, ready for the new year. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is just save those and not conduct as many interviews in the next month and a half. Um, so this is going to be the last episode for the year of 2020. And, you know, I couldn't imagine a better one to end on. Um, this conversation that I have with um, today's guest, Mark Bigelow, is just a conversation that represents a lot of the stuff that's kind of been um, in my mind throughout this year and trying to think about, you know, what creativity means for our bigger picture. Um, and Mark and I really get into it about a lot of that stuff. And, and it's a kind of frank conversation that feels so, so valuable to me. And I'm, I'm really grateful to Mark for kind of going there with me with, with this kind of stuff. So, um, before I kind of wrap it up for the year, um, I wanted to kind of just let you guys know what's going on. So, um, by the time you're hearing this, um, Ooh, Thanksgiving will be in a couple of days, which means I'm trying to think of like, what's the date today? Um, and I will have some great Black Friday sales on my website. Um, you guys know how I feel. I, I make it a point to draw your attention to small businesses and also eco-friendly businesses to try to kind of, you know, take our um, consumption into places that are valuable. And of course, I feel like there are a lot of people who are doing much more important things. Um, I also am a small business. And if you are a person who's listening to this podcast, that means that you're enjoying kind of what I'm doing and what I'm working on. Um, so, you know, maybe consider hopping into emvocals.com slash shop um, and seeing if you want to take advantage of some of those Black Friday deals. I've got shirts and mugs and wrapping paper, which is awesome for the holidays. And I, of course, have music. So, you know, if you already have some of my stuff, maybe you want to give someone a shirt or a CD as a holiday gift, or maybe you just want to get something for yourself. Um, so I think, you know, the best deals of the year are going to be happening today, tomorrow, throughout this coming weekend. Um, so, th so that's a thing. And then I, I will be running some nice December sales, um, different ones as well. So, um, keep an eye out for that. I won't be, I won't be making announcements in December. So this is, this is the one and only, um, what else is going on? I'm building, I'm busily building my online songwriting course. So if you are a person who wants to become a songwriter or you've already written a little bit and you just need some more tools in your toolbox, um, 
that's a thing that I am busily working on and the launch is going to be happening in the spring. I'm also recording my third album of all original music. Um, it's still kind of a bit top secret, but, um, but I'm working on it. So when I'm back in 2021, um, I should have some new announcements for you guys for that. And as always, working on the podcast, teaching private lessons, teaching my couple of university students, um, you know, trying to do everything I can to stay creative, stay productive, um, make the world a, a vibrant place. Um, you know, and in my day-to-day life, I'm I'm trying really hard to do the kind of stuff that Mark and I talk about in this interview. So let me now tell you about my amazing guest, Mark Bigelow. Mark Bigelow received degrees in philosophy and public administration from Brigham Young University. Later in life, he began taking art classes at BYU to pursue a different path. He has been working in stained glass since 2002 when he initially made art as a hobby. In 2013, he created Mountain Light Glacier, LLC, and primarily makes commissions for homes. Bigelow has been an affiliate member of the Stained Glass Association of America since 2017. In 2018, the SGAA funded his attendance at Designing with Freedom, a workshop in New York with Ellen Mandelbaum. He has exhibited his work locally with the Utah County Artist Guild, where his piece Rainbow Fall won second place in 2017. And Mark's bio doesn't talk about this, um, but one of my favorite things that we talk about in this episode is um, that Mark taught a business ethics class at BYU for years. Um, And gosh, it's just, you know, such a beautiful combination of creative thinking and how we think about each other and how, you know, as, as, as humans, um, how we think about ideas, how we stay curious about people and all of those skills are so wrapped up in what we do as creatives. And, um, gosh, I just can't say it enough times. I just, I really valued this conversation. So, so here we are at the end of 2020 and it's been a hell of a year. Um, I hope that these episodes of my little podcast have been have been good and have been bright and happy for you. Um, I know I've said it before, but if you are enjoying the podcast, I would love to hear from you. It would mean so much to me and it would be like such a nice kind of like end of year bright spot for me. Um, and don't worry, I will be back in 2021 with great interviews and hopefully um, before too long I can start traveling again doing some interviews with people in in other states and um, getting to kind of have these beautiful face-to-face conversations that I like to have um, with people in different places and and like I said before rest assured I will be working also on art and trying to think about interesting things so that I'll have great things to talk about with my guests um when we're back in 2021. So happy holidays, Merry, all of the things that you celebrate. Um, try to stay creative during these potentially gloomy months, especially if you're a person who gets a little depressed in the, in the wintertime, especially with, um, you know, feeling maybe a little bit extra lonely, um, art and creativity, you know, whether you're making it yourself or just consuming it thoughtfully can be a great antidote to some of those feelings. Um, Take care of each other, stay curious and stay creative about your neighbors and about your family members and about other people you know. 
um, do what you can to find common ground and, and to take care of yourself. Um, okay. I think that's it. I just, I don't really know who you are, but gosh, I care so much about you. Just seeing, seeing the number of kind of downloads, um, that I'm seeing from my like SoundCloud hub, you know, I don't know who those, who those downloads belong to, but they mean so much to me. And, um, so I'm, I'm caring about you, even if I kind of don't know who you are. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All the things, take care of yourself this next month. I'll miss you for the month of December and we'll be back in January. And please enjoy this beautiful conversation with my new friend, Mark Bigelow. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists. And I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Today's episode of Artifice is brought to you by Bite Toothpaste Bits. Bite is the only plastic-free and totally environmentally friendly way to replace the paste you've used your whole life. When it's time to brush your teeth, you just wet your toothbrush, pop the little bit in your mouth and brush. It foams right up like magic. And don't worry, all of the packaging is recycled, compostable, and delivered with a low carbon footprint. I love my activated charcoal bits and thought this would be the perfect stocking stuffer for all of my listeners. So I reached out to Bite and got us a holiday deal. Head to bitetoothpastebits.com and use promo code ARTIFICE10, that's all caps, A-R-T-I-F-I-C-E-1-0, for 10% off all orders of $30 or more. Make the switch to plastic-free toothpaste today. Okay, awesome. Um, well, let's get started. And like I said, I'll take good care of you. It's easy. <laughs> all right. Um, how are you doing in this quarantine? Like, what's your life like? Okay. Um... So as it turns out, um, this year, uh, since the January 2nd, I've been working with the census that just finished, right? Oh, yesterday yeah. is the you know, end. Um, so, uh, uh, that's been my day job and, yeah. and so, uh, it's been relatively normal, kind uneventful. Of normal. Yeah. yeah. We, we did close down for a couple months, um, in, uh, the middle of it, but, uh, our lives are pretty good. We live, um, we have two kids at home and, cool. uh, uh, it's been pretty, pretty uneventful. Good. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I've been trying to get a, a glass worker on this podcast for a very long time. I'm, I've been doing this podcast like a year and a half, mm -hmm. like a little more than a year and a half. And I have invited several glass people who never get back to me. I get the feeling <laughs> that maybe you're a shy bunch. I don't know. I, I don't know if we're more shy than normal. I don't know. But, uh, I mean, a lot of artists, I yeah, think, are shy. Right, right, <laughs> Even right. performing artists, I think. Um, but I like, so on the podcast, I like to try to get an idea of like, you know, where your creativity comes from and how you developed it. So let's talk about, um, I'd love to know what you were doing as a creative child, like what kind of stuff were you into hmm. as a little kid? Well, I, I'm, I'm a late bloomer when it comes to creativity. I, I really, I mean, I didn't grow up in a home uh, where there was a lot of 
you know, overtly creative things. My parents, you know, didn't play instruments. Yeah. We uh, didn't have, you know, lots of that kind of thing going on. They certainly were um, encouraging of public school kinds of art things. And I, I, I did a little bit with that. Yeah. But I didn't really start with um, art until about 20 years ago. So um, one thing that I that I really believe is that creativity and the arts are related but not the same. Yeah. Um, and I, I imagine that if you are art-minded and creative now, like, I'm sure there was evidence of that when you were younger. Um, but, you know, part of the reason why I'm interested in this question is, like, you know, I think I believe that more people are creative than mm. would identify as creative. Yeah, yeah. And that feels important to me. And I also think that, like, like you said, you know, you didn't have parents who were creating stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you're not presented with that kind of stuff as a little kid, like, yeah, where are you going to get it? Mm-hmm. You know, like, where is it going to come from? So maybe, it, like, you know, a lot of my guests will talk about, like, how they played pretend as kids or even, like, how they um, consumed different media. Like, you know, they were, they really enjoyed listening to music. So I'm not trying to project like anything, but if you're thinking like in a more abstract way, like the things that you identify as creative about yourself now, do you feel like those character traits were manifesting when you were younger? Not really. Really, no. Not really. I, I think they were latent. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in junior high, I took the sort of survey art class. Yeah. And so we did lots of fun things, and I remember enjoying it and and having some talent with it, but you know, not not certainly not a prodigy or anything like that. Yeah. Um, later in life, uh, uh, I was a missionary for my church, yeah. and on our, our day off, um, the, the senior missionary Your couple. P-day. Yeah, P-Day. Um, <laughs> the, the senior couple, they have more flexibility, right, than, yeah. than the younger missionaries. And uh, so she had brought her art, her painting supplies with her. Cool. And so, uh, and um, I lived on an island. Where were you? I was in the Marshall Islands. Okay, cool. So kind of unusual. So anyhow, you know, that's very picturesque, right? Yeah. And so we would paint sometimes. And so that that was fun. But again, it was just very brief. It was just a dabbling. So just little things here and there. Um, And my sister is a missionary right now. mm. She's supposed to go to Thailand. And, um, but the borders are closed and she's actually been reassigned to Hawaii and she's flying there like right now. Hmm. She's on a plane right now flying to Hawaii. Um, okay. Well, can you tell me then what did you like doing when you were little? Like, what were you like as a child? If not creative, then what? Probably. I mean, just kind of a, a kind of a typical suburban just growing up playing soccer, you know, hanging out with friends, yeah. but nothing. In, I've never been a, a super, um, what, a focused person in the sense that I haven't done anything to extremes. Sure. Um, you know, I, I you know, I, I, you, I, ha- you don't I, like get really into anything. Not in yeah. the same way that I know some other artists who are just possessed by yeah. something. They have to do it. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I value it. I, um, and I, I do a fair amount of it, Yeah. but, um, I mean, I contrast it, for example, with my wife, 
my wife is uh, more of an artist than I am. Cool. Um, in many ways, uh, she's a, a musician by profession, um, but she also she can't go a day without creating with her hands, yeah. whether it's knitting, whether it's quilting, whether it's drawing, whether it's cool. painting. Um, so she's she's more of a you know possessed yeah. artist yeah. than I am. Yeah. But uh, interesting. Okay, so yeah, when you're little, like, you know, I, maybe I just have like a couple of other questions because I really do like, you know, in, in terms of like what this project is about for mm-hmm. me, like, you know, I want to get to know like artists and kind of what you do. But I think more so I'm just I'm so interested in like the human potential for creativity. Like, how do we do it? How do we find room for it? And I actually really like hearing from people who didn't like tap into that until they're older because it kind of it kind of tells us something about how resilient that kind of trait Mm -hmm. could be or, you know, that it could, that it's a muscle that we change it, you know, that it, that it changes as we develop. Um, but yeah, I, I just, just, you know, it helps me just get to know like maybe some things about your personality. So you were just, you were playing with friends. Did you, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you were like, do you like to read? Like, were you like quiet child? Um, Somewhat, I did like to read, but but not exclusively. Okay. I remember, you know, lots, you know, playing soccer, riding bikes, hanging out with friends, just doing, you know, playing games and and what have you. But I I did a fair amount of of reading, but but not a huge amount. I wouldn't yeah. say. Did you like school? Like, did you like learning? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, cool. Uh, but again, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a straight A student or yeah. something like that. Uh, I I enjoyed it though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And then did it, how did how did anything. Um, or, or what, you know, changed or developed with you when you were like in your teens? Like, how did your, your self change? Like, how, how did you kind of like think of yourself? Like what sort of traits did you feel like, well, this is who I am. Like, this is who Mark is. You know, I'd say I didn't really start to develop until late, late teens, early twenties, really, I think in terms of coming to a a sense of who I was and how I saw the world up to that point, I was largely not uh, self-reflective at all. I just sort of lived my life and enjoyed it. And, uh, um, it wasn't till, uh, you know, during my, um, during my mission and then afterwards in college that I started to sort of to be aware of a larger world that, uh, paid attention to these sorts of things and and sort of reflected and, and thought about, well, I don't have to be just what I inherited or what, but right. I can change myself. I can see, and, and, and that I might be different than yeah. others. And, and that's okay. You know, I think that, that, that yeah. is very creative. Like I yeah. talk about that a lot. Like I soapbox about <clears throat> it, like this idea that kind of creativity like lives in our brains as much as it lives in our actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and just having the thought, like I can create my life. Like I can create, you know, the self that I want to be. Um, this this thing of like not feeling very self-reflective was that like a family culture kind of a thing or was that just probably, like a, a mark thing probably to a family i mean my um my again like my my parents were not particularly uh artistic or academic or um they were very supportive and very loving, but that, but, uh, that wasn't a part of our family you culture. You really didn't see creativity modeled. Not really. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. I relate yeah. to that. I mean, no, it, it, I think my family's like maybe not quite like what you're describing, but my family is also like, there's no, there's no artists in my family. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the first one. Um, one of my uncles married an artist 
as an as an older man. So mm-hmm. um so there's a there's another artist in the family by marriage and I'm I'm, I'm happy to have him. Um <laughs> but uh uh I think when I was young we there were definitely like crafts around in the in the house and you know we all learned to play the piano but it was very like it wasn't presented in an artful way. Mm-hmm. It was presented in like a, this is a skill that you should have yeah. as a contributing member of society. Um, we, you know, my parents did things like sign us up for musical theater camps, but I didn't feel like it was presented any differently than like, we're signing you up for the swim team. Right. right. You no, know, it was just like, should, this is another a thing activity. we do. Yeah, it was just yeah. Another kind of option. Yeah. So I definitely did have exposure to like the arts, but the mindset about it was very, like very different mm-hmm. than how, like I don't have children, but how I know that I would talk about it with my children. Yeah. Like I know I would talk about it in a different way. So, um, so I, I relate to a lot of that, like kind of, um, but, but one thing I think I feel different about is like, I really was like a very creative child. Mm -hmm. I was a creative child who didn't, um, have adults in my life, like reflecting that with me or like encouraging it. Mm -hmm. But I felt very like compelled, like your wife, yeah, like I just wanted to make stuff Mm -hmm. and wanted to read a lot and wanted to like explore so when you were on your mission, you felt like you were kind of coming into your own identity a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Can you like describe that? Like what, I mean, what did it feel like to kind of be thinking like, oh, I can like make different choices and. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I get, I mean, part of it was, um, uh, the people I was associated with, um, there was a particular, uh, n- another missionary, um, who yeah. just, we, we struck it. Off, you know, we hit it off. We we became friends, um, uh, even though we were never actually companions. Yeah, um, we would get together because again, when you live on an island, things are kind of different. There's isolated. Yeah. We would get together every weekend. And, and for the uh, listener, your your companion on your mission is like the person that you're. You know, you're, everybody knows you see LDS missionaries in pairs. Right, yeah, right. So your right. companion is like your your pair, yeah, your little yeah. buddy. Right, right. So mm-hmm. and and just sort of a funny aside, we both had grown up in the same city in Idaho. Interesting. But had to go two thousand miles away to meet one another. Yeah. Uh, we went to we lived on different sides of the town. Cool. Um. So you hit it off. So and, hit it off. And what was he like? Well, and he was you know he he's he's much more intense I'd say than I am. And he had already um, started seeing the world in, in bigger and different ways. Yeah. And so for me, you know, knowing him and just, and really being taken by right. the way he saw the world, yeah. that sort of opened me up. I love um, that. Yeah. Before that, um, for example, I had been a, uh, my, when I was a freshman in college, I thought, well, I, I'm taking a very practical approach. Let's go into engineering. Yeah. Right. My dad encouraged that. He thought that sounds like a great idea, which, you know, uh, yeah, it's a good, a good profession. Yeah. But I, I quickly learned that the math was required was, was yeah. probably <laughs> not easily in my grasp. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, afterwards I thought, well, I'm going to try something very different. And so I, I became a philosophy major. Wow. Um, and that then, as you can imagine, really opened oh up gosh, the intellectual so world. Interested. And just like, wow, okay. There's yeah. people asking just really, really wild questions about who we are and where we, you know, totally. how we understand each other and you know, what the world is like and so forth. 
Um, I love that uh, story so, so much. Like it takes you meeting a person that just kind of sparks something in you that you think like, I have that too. Like I have that mm-hmm. sort. Is it, it, did it feel like that to you? Oh, like sure. I have that ability too. Like you just, if you haven't seen something modeled, you just have no idea mm-hmm. that it exists. Right. Right. Um, well, I guess I think I was probably even a little bit of afraid of it before that. Oh, it sure. Just, it just seemed like, Oh, I don't know That's if I want to go there. That's what other people do. Yeah, and there's yeah, something yeah. kind of scary about it. I totally get that. Yeah. I, I remember w- before when, when I first, I saw this philosophy class, the first one, and I read the, you know, the, uh, the descript, the course description. And I thought, wow, that sounds really it interesting. Sounds kind of... But I went and I met with the professor and I told him, I said, I've never done anything like this before. Yeah. I said, this kind of scares me, you know, yeah. but, but fascinates me too. and yeah. Intrigued me. And he said, well, if you're willing to work hard, you know, put in two hours a day for every, you know, hour in the class, that sort of a thing that yeah. he said, you, you'll, you'll be fine. Can I ask, are you still LDS? I am. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So I, I grew up LDS and I'm not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, <laughs> I, I would love to talk to you about some of these things. Um, I'm trying to think like, you know, one of my, one of my biggest like passions with this project is I think maybe because I grew up LDS and everyone that I was raised around was like a lot of the things you're describing, I, I experienced in my childhood too. Um, and then I had a similar experience to you where I, I majored in jazz performance mm. and I went to the university of North Texas, which is a very liberal school mm. And was exposed to all kinds of people who were really different from me. And I think, I think maybe because I just by virtue of circumstance was like so steeped in two such very different types of communities. I feel like I know something that some people don't know. And I, I, feel, I feel like you know it too, which is that like we have much more in common than the not in common. Do you feel like that? With like just as people. Oh, as human beings, you mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah Different yeah. sides sure. of political sure. spectrums sure. and religious spectrums yeah. and lifestyle philosophies. Um, by the way, if you're chilly, there's a blanket yeah. here because I know it's yeah. chilly in the basement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, to me, the like having the awareness that, you know, a lot of the really conservative religious people that I know are as artful and as creative and as um, whatever, you know, capable of depth and possibility Mm -hmm. as like the very bohemian kinds of artists that I also know, or, or like very, you know, um, explorative intellectual people that Mm -hmm. I know it, it just makes me curious about people. Like I always feel like there's more. And on my podcast, I really try to interview people that are like all across any sort of spectrum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And I guess my point is like, I I like to illustrate that like we all have cool things to say. Yeah. 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 Um, It's really important to me. Sometimes we pigeonhole people. We think, oh, well they're this way. So, you know, X and and it's not, not the case. You know, there, I remember listening to a, uh, uh, a radio interviewer here in Utah once and he was talking to a, a particular uh, uh, Mormon intellectual, and this radio interviewer. Would I, that I, be I, Doug Fabrizio from Radio West? It would. <laughs> whom, whom I really respect and enjoy. I love yeah. his show. But I, I remember him interviewing uh, an, an LDS um, intellectual, and and it seemed like 
you know, Doug was sort of a little bit exasperated mm. with him because he was like, well, if you think this, then you can't think that. And he's, well, mm. yes, I can. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, maybe you don't, but I do. And that's, <laughs> I mean, I think I would think that's creativity too. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, these, all these things are. So one thing that I, that I feel like I do notice, and, and please feel free to disagree with me if you see it a different way. Like, you know, I should also say like, maybe one of the reasons why my life has kind of led me out of the church is because in addition to not being that creative, my family of origin had some like abuse issues Mm -hmm. and like some narcissism that it just has like, it just has tainted that for me in a way that like, it's just not, it's not a place I feel like good anymore. Um, but one thing that I think I see in the, the people who raised me and kind of the community, one thing that I see a lot of that I, that I wish I didn't see as much of is, is that fear, like this kind of fear of like, well, I can't take a philosophy sure. class. I can't, sure. I oh, can't yeah. talk to these other kinds of people. And, you know, I think I'm evidence of why they have that fear. Cause mm. like I explored that stuff left. and left. <laughs> right. 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 So right. I would love to hear you talk about how you were able to, let new ideas into your mind and like not have it change like your fundamental faith. Like I would really love to hear you talk about that. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by fundamental faith. It certainly has, has, has changed my faith. Um, I just mean you can preserve kind of. Yeah. I I could, I could stay LDS, but, but you know, see it in a different way. Nuance. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Yeah. I see the world in, in nuanced ways in just about everything. So yeah, what happened? Uh, um, like, please tell me about it. Well, I guess a part of it was just uh, going and seeing the much bigger world, yeah. right? As a, at going to the Marshall Islands. Wow. Seeing to, to like see, real poverty. See real poverty there. That I don't know if you're familiar with the history of the United States nuclear testing program in the Marshall Islands. No, yeah. but I can imagine. So back in the 50s, uh, uh, you know, we used their islands to test our nuclear warheads. Wow. And so then that sort of says, oh, so maybe my government's not always, right. <laughs> you know, done the best things, right? right? So so that starts to, you start to challenge some of these assumptions. Well, that my church never does anything wrong, my my government never does anything wrong, etc. Right. Yeah. And then as you become an adult, you realize. Oh, d- adults are still trying to all figure all this stuff out too, right? Yeah. When we're kids, we look at our our parents often. We think they've got it all figured out, right? Yeah. They don't make mistakes, you know, right. whatever. But then you become an adult, and you're like, no, we we still make mistakes. We yeah. don't have it all figured out. Totally. Um, well, and I think you know, just as a small <clears throat> aside, I think one of the prop one of the big problems we have in our in our culture, and and I mean at large, yeah. like our you yeah. know American culture. I don't know enough about any other places to speak to other cultures, mm-hmm. but. I think a problem that we have in, in a lot of American culture is that adults do project that kind of, I know everything to kids, um, which is not a great example for how we are truly always learning. Mm -hmm. So anyway, yeah, Yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So, so, you know, you start to see some of these things, you start to learn things, you know, you take your first philosophy class and I remember we, we, you know, we were studying metaphysics, right? This question about what's ultimately real and read this article, this, this essay, about uh, a, a professor who put a plate of cheese out for his students. And then he asked the students, is it real? Mm. And then there's this big argument ensues about, you know, is that cheese really there? Do we know it? Uh, how do we know it? And all these sorts of questions that just, you know, ask very, very fundamental questions. Yeah. You know, what do we know? How do we know we, you know, how, how do we know anything, yeah. right? All these things. And so that just, re- once you start going down that path, uh, it, it it certainly for me it made me much more humble about mm. certainty 
Yes. For example, I mean, I mean, I don't be, describe myself of being certain about much of anything. Cool. Me too. Um, Same. That doesn't mean I don't act on things. It doesn't mean yeah. I don't have things that I I uh, believe or things that I, I hope for, things that I uh, you know, use to, to move forward in my life. Um, but in terms of like absolute certainty about anything, nah, not much. Yeah, I feel the same way. That, And I think that is, I mean, I'm so biased because I agree with you, but I mean, I think that that is like a kind of a brave and creative way to live. Like, yeah. you know, t- not feeling certain about much, it lets you pay attention, I think, in maybe a different way, which feels like open, you know, mm-hmm. it feels kind of whole, whole in a different kind of a way um, that I really value. When you were a young man, like starting to think about these things, like, did you continue to feel scared or did you just feel scared sure. kind of before? Sure. No, uh, you know, in, in the LDS community, uh, a lot of people talk about uh, faith crises. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I describe myself as having a, uh, now I'm, I'm 56. And so I've, I've been dealing with a faith crisis for 35 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're the same it, age it, as my dad. It's, oh, there you go. It's, and it's been a sort of an ongoing, and it, you know, it, it sort of ebbs and flows. Um, yeah. Uh, I love that though. I mean, I love it. I love hearing you say that. Like, you know, just, I, we're all so, we're all so biased, you know, but mm-hmm. my, my experience is my dad, who's the same age as you, won't, won't touch it. Yeah. Won't go anywhere near. And I think, man, how much how much more loving and open and resilient could our family be if you were willing to kind of like have that courage to mm-hmm. be in that in-between space? Well, um, and well, I, I think part of it too is just for some people, it just doesn't occur to them. Yeah. I think these things, for example, my parents, I think it just didn't occur to them. Yeah. I know it, um, occur- I know it occurs to my dad. Okay. All right. All right. But I, I mean, uh, I know it's like just a, it's a fear and a control thing, I think. Yeah. Like, cause that it, it is, it is terrifying to not have certainty and control. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that is one thing that I feel like when I was personally stepping away from the church, which it wasn't that long ago, I was teaching at BYU for several years, mm-hmm. which was a big part of my personal faith crisis yeah, as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, teaching in the performing arts, you mm-hmm. know, I had a, I had a lot of students who, were gay, are gay. And, you know, there's, just, there's just were things that I just thought this is not, this isn't a place I can yeah. stay yeah. for me, but I fully like, I fully understand that there are different circumstances for everybody. But yeah, one of the things that was really hard for me was letting go of that kind of safety that I felt sure. in, in, um, thinking like, I know what the future is. Um, and I think like, if you're a person of faith, and it and it is faith and not certainty. Then, mm-hmm. like you feel the same way as me, don't I think? Sure. Oh, I think. I yeah. Prob- I think you know if we were to have a long extended conversation of, of, about our faith and how yeah. how we, where we, you know how we've got to where we are. Like you said before, I think we'd probably find lots yeah. of overlap. Yeah, and there's yeah. and yeah. what I would love, like what I, what I'd love for people to hear is that you we can do both. Like mm-hmm. you and I can sit here and have this conversation about creativity and learning <clears throat> and listening to people and understanding their different ways of being. And I can land on a like agnostic side of that and you can land on a faithful side mm-hmm. of that. 
and like it's fine yeah, we can yeah. both we could do both yeah depending upon how how i'm feeling on the day some days i describe myself as a believing doubter other days a doubting believer right sure. which one sort of uh sure. takes takes precedence on on a particular day or sure. in a particular circumstance or what have you but so you you felt scared do, i mean is there anything that you want to share you know like in maybe your you know 20s is there anything specific that like any lessons that you feel like you learned that you know, maybe would be advice to someone who felt similarly, but maybe kind of wants to broaden their understanding of what's possible in the world. Hmm. Well, I guess I'd say, uh, you know, be aware that there are a, a wide variety of ways to be, Yeah. right? Uh, it's, it's not inevitable that you go down any particular path. You can always, you know, find your own path. You don't have to be, you know, all the way in without any questions about anything, or you don't have to be all the way out with, you know, being Certainty a compl there, com either. complete cynic, skeptic, you know, there are ways to, to, you know, figure out your own path, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so when did you, like, what happened with your creativity and like your art development during like <clears throat> that decade? Well, there really wasn't much, um, okay. in terms of, of, in the visual arts, okay. you know, um, certainly becoming much more aware of, of literature, yeah. um, history of philosophy and so forth. That was a, a big part of it. And so that then always affected any, uh, of the schooling I continued to do. Um, what did you do? So after, after a, a, a bachelor's degree in philosophy, I got a master's in public administration, okay. uh, worked for a few years, um, for the state of Utah, uh, then went back to uh, a graduate program, um, uh, in, in, in public administration and organizational behavior, a, do out, a doctoral program. Uh -huh, okay. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh, out at, at uh, in, in Washington, oh DC. So interesting. Yeah, very what was fun. it like living there? Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. And that all yeah. like you, did you feel kind of ready for that then? Like, Oh, I was scared too. I remember yeah. uh, that was, that was going to the big city, right? Yeah. 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 You know, I grew up in, in, in Boise, Idaho, mm -hmm. a fairly small place. Um, and then came to BYU and, but then going to Washington DC that was momentous. What uh, did what was it like? That was wonderful. We um, we, we had a great experience. You there. were married by then. I was. Okay, uh, so that makes child that's, by then. that's a little like safer like yeah, you got sure. your one person. Sure. Sure. Um were you were you nervous about just moving to the big city or were were you nervous about moving to like were you nervous about the people you would encounter? Not the people at all. Just nervous about you know, could I hang, right? Sure, was I smart enough? Was I, sure. you know, uh, you know, uh, all my classmates were from Harvard and from Berkeley yeah. and, you know, from the big, the big yeah. names, right? I felt a lot of that when I started school too. Yeah. yeah. It's different. You know, I started, I went to the University of North Texas when I was 19 mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I mean, I felt, I felt very sheltered and very kind of unaware of a lot of things and really, really out of my depth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, the way that it felt to me was like, after maybe, you know, the, the experience that I had was like my first couple of weeks there, I would hear whispers. Like I would literally hear people in the hallway being like, I think that's the Mormon. Like, I think, <laughs> you know, like there, it was so odd for there to be someone like me in yeah. the jazz studies program. Yeah. I think there have been a few more LDS people there since I was there. And there had been some before me, but when I was there, I was the only one mm -hmm. in the whole degree of like, yeah. you know, 300 people. Um, and I didn't, I didn't leave the church until much later. Mm -hmm. So the whole time I was there, but. So know, I was 30 
by yeah, the time I got been, there. And I'm 32 now, right, so right. Just so, barely... so I was I was pretty comfortable yeah. with who I was by then. Um, and uh, but just kind so, of yeah, this feeling of could I hang? Like yeah, I, yeah, I, could I, I hang? Get that. I, I was you know, it was daunting. But I wanted um, to just quickly say that like the first couple of weeks were weird like that, and then after maybe a month or so, it was just not. It was just mm-hmm. not. A, an issue. Mm. It's just not an issue at all. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it would sort of come up from time to time as, as people would learn. Mostly it was just a kind of a curiosity. People sure. would be like, oh, you're LDS. Oh, well, that's really interesting. You know, yeah. uh, sometimes they would have misconceptions about this or that. And, or sometimes, you know, they would, they would know things uh, yeah, that are uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly the LDS community uh, has its own baggage, its own history of, yeah. of challenging things like, yeah. like all do. Um, and so people would, you know, sometimes bring those up and say, well, what about this? How can you, you know, and I say, well, yeah, that's really hard. Yeah. That was a very, you know, uncomfortable, uh, you know, bad thing that happened yeah. and, uh, ha- so, you know, things like that. So, and did you feel like that specific thing of kind of needing to defend like something in like a community that you, that you love, like, did you have to cultivate a certain type of like courage to have those conversations? Like, what does it feel like to you as a person if someone kind of challenges you in, in that way? Like, yeah. how, how do you actually do it? I, um, I, I guess I, I didn't ever have anyone to my face anyway um, challenge me in a way that felt threatening or, or, or uh, you know, aggressive. Yeah. Certainly had people who were skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, I had uh, uh, one... Um, friend who, an African-American friend, um, who, uh, after class one day, we went over to the, the TGI Fridays across the street. And, and, uh, after a few drinks, he got a little more comfortable and, mm-hmm. uh, he said, so, uh, you know, Mark, you're Mormon, right? And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And he said, well, he said something along the lines of, well, you know, I just don't have much use for a church that didn't take me seriously right. until just the last couple of decades kind right. of a thing. And, yeah. and all I could say was, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a problem. Yeah. And, and we still have some problems and, and I hope that we can get better at it, you know, yeah. but, but he was a friend, right? Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't threatening. Yeah. Um, uh, I had similar but, conversations yeah. with a lot of gay friends in college. Yeah, sure. Cause I mean, again, I'm in the performing yeah. arts and that just yeah. was, I mean, <laughs> It just, it, I had, I had conversations like that all the time mm-hmm. and I had a similar answer. Just, I know it's yeah. like, I, I do not have an answer, yeah. um, but I see you and I care about you and right. like, I hope that this improves. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. That's, that's largely my take yeah. on things as well. Yeah. 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 I really respect that. I mean, I, again, a full bias cause that's also mm-hmm. the answer that I would give. Yeah. <laughs> but, right. um. But yeah, I mean, just, I think, do, let me ask you this. Does that feel like creative thinking to you? Um, certainly related uh, yeah. to it uh, in, in the idea of, of being open, yeah, being willing to see things in new ways. Because yeah. definitely the arts, you know, you're trying to see things in different ways. Um, sp- specifically, if you're not trying to be an artist who is trying to recreate reality, right? You're not trying to, you know, be a... a a uh, you know photorealistic painter or or, or you know right. draw uh, you know things like that. So if you're not trying to do that, you're trying to see the world in do new ways. You're trying to represent you know capture maybe abstract ideas right. or or feelings or 
just a desire to, to pursue, pursue kind of beauty and, you know, yeah. in, through form and color and line and so forth. Um, so, so there's definitely some, some things that are related there. Yeah, I think so too. Um, how, how did you think about your like goals with administration and behavioral yeah, science? Yeah. What, what, how was that like feeling to you? Like what were your kind of values? Well, um, you know, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, those, the, my graduate studies, um, I was attracted to, uh, the public sector as a desire to try to, you know, come together as a, a larger community, you know, as a nation, right. Or as a, or as a, a city or something sure, and try to sure. accomplish common goals, that sort of thing. I was also interested in, you know, the organizational side of it, that whenever human beings come together, you know, how, how do we learn to interact with each other? How do we learn how to, you know, achieve common goals without abusing each other? Yes. Um, you know, how do we, uh, I had, I had a professor at BYU and he said, uh, one of his favorite things to say was, uh, that his job was to help make people safe for organizations mm. because he said organizations are always going to be potentially abusive. Yeah. So you got to make people safe for organizations. And so that right. was, you know, he tried to, you know, get people. That is a really um, interesting thought. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Jay Bonner Ritchie is his name. Uh, cool. Uh, wonderful guy and uh, really thoughtful. Um, yeah. So um, uh, sort of sort of cutting to uh, the uh, head a little bit. So I, I, I got burned out in my, my PhD program, didn't finish. Okay. Um, my, my, at the turn, at the time, my wife was also in a doctoral program. Awesome. And so she, she got a job in offer. Music or yeah. Yeah. So, cool. so my wife knows who you are. I'm not <gasps> sure. So, cause I, I told her that yeah. I was doing this. Wait. My wife is Claudine. Claudia. Big, Claudine. Claudine. Yeah. She's okay. the viola professor at BYU. Cool. And so she, you know, she was aware of, of who, yeah. who you are. So cool. I, hopefully she's only heard good things about <laughs> well, me. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> but she said, oh yeah, she, I think she used to teach for, you know, she was an adjunct in the, yeah, in the, I was. You know, the vocal or something. I was Thing. vocal jazz yeah yeah, yeah. so you know, i'll have to interview her too if she's, yeah. if she's interested she should she'd be a great interview um so she and, was getting a doctor yeah, she was getting in, her doctorate there cool. and so um at that by that point i was still technically enrolled in my program i had completed my coursework but had floundered during the dissertation process and so i was working full-time okay and she was doing, in admin uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was working for the university, um, doing some, uh, as a part of a training program in DC, in DC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so then she got the job offer to come back to BYU. And okay. so a, a job in the hand is a good thing. Right? Sure. So I've we, heard that BYU has excellent health insurance and they benefits. Do. They yeah. do. Yeah. They have I've good. heard that. <laughs> so we moved back to, uh, to Utah and, uh, and, uh, because I had done my master's here, I said, hey, do you have anything for me to do here? And so they did. They they had some, so I came back and I, I taught at BYU as an did adjunct you, you for about 10 years. Did you teach philosophy, philosophy uh, or admin? I, public administration, okay. uh, sort of there's a wide variety of some sort of historical background things, but I taught mostly uh, business ethics. Amazing. And so, so administrative ethics was sort of what, yeah. often what I pursued during my master's and, and doctoral studies. Cool. And so that was a pretty good fit. Oh my and, gosh. And what was that. it like so, teaking ethics like at BYU? Yeah, I mean, well, it was fun. It yeah. was fun. Yeah. You know, I, I, I had a great experience uh, by and large. Um, Did you find that there were like specific principles that you focused on more hmm, like per the hmm. kind of, like, I, I have to imagine that, I mean, I don't have to imagine I taught at BYU too, yeah, not as long yeah, as you, but, yeah. um, you know, it's a unique situation having 
Like you can make safely a fair amount of assumptions about your students. Like they, yeah, they're many more, of them anyway. Yeah, they're more the same as each other mm-hmm. than most yeah. schools. Yeah, fair amount of homogeneity there. Right. Yeah. Um, and and I'm curious, like, if there were certain things that you felt like were more like rich to talk about mm. with those with those students. Certainly, having a common language. Um, to, you know, for, for um, LDS kids, talking about matters of right and wrong is not unusual, right? right. Although th- there's a potential downside there as well. Sure, because it I means often, like a specific thing. Right. It can mean a specific thing. I mean, like, for example, the word morality, right? Yeah. In the larger world, that means much bigger things than at BYU, typically. Right, you know, right. Um, one challenge was often to convince my students that... Uh, uh, Ethics in a in a workplace set, setting was something more than just being uh, honest or right. not lying or you yeah. know, things like that. that and yeah. that it wasn't just a matter of uh, being a good person. There are systemic issues you had to pay attention to. Yeah. There are there are uh, you know lots of different ways of seeing these things. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was sometimes a challenge to get people to think. Well, this you know. Because sometimes they'd want to say, well, I, I've already taken my religion class. I, you know, I don't need right, this. Right, I don't right. need to learn yeah, morality yeah, here. Yeah, right. It's like, sure. well, it, it might mean something different in the workplace. It might mean something different. Um, well, and just like you said, like being able to communicate with each other, like yeah. understanding how other people see things. Like, yeah, I mean, under, understanding that someone could, you know, not have your same beliefs about chastity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but could be highly moral. Right. I right. think that that is like, that's when I say that out loud, it's like, well, of course, mm-hmm. but like, depending on how you're raised yeah, in the yeah. LDS church, it's not an obvious thing mm-hmm, to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember having major light bulbs about that in college yeah. and being like, Oh, like people have all sorts of different value systems that mm-hmm. they adhere to. Like in a highly moral way, you know, but different particulars. Mm-hmm. And I remember being surprised by that yeah. as a young person. Yeah. But I didn't have to learn it in a class because I saw it everywhere uh-huh. where like you might not see that right. at BYU because everyone's right. kind of mm-hmm. literally has to follow the same rules. Right, right. Or, or supposed to anyway. <laughs> well, but you know what I mean. Like, I mean, everybody, sure. there is a very sure. clear set of rules that sure. everyone yeah. knows about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then while I was teaching at BYU, I was teaching part-time and, um, by then, you know, more kids were coming along and my wife worked full-time. So I was sort of the stay-at-home parent. Cool. Um, and, and as you probably also are aware, you know, when you're an adjunct, that means sometimes they might not have anything for you to do. Yeah. So I had one semester where I had no classes to teach and I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? Yeah. And for a long time, I'd sort of, you know, dabbled in art. And so I thought, well, I want to do some art something. And so I looked at the catalog and I had long as an adult been interested in, you know, just the beauty of stained glass. Um, And so I saw that BYU teaches a stained glass class. So I signed up and I took it and I was hooked from How old were you? I was 35. Cool. So you found this medium that now you pursue at a professional level when you were... 35. Right. That's cool. Right, right. So I took that class, loved it, had a wonderful experience, took it again the next semester. Um, then the next semester, I didn't take it again, but I 
attended and was sort of an unofficial teaching assistant, you know, I, just in the sense that I was there. If people needed help, I was proficient by that point. And so I could, you know, help. Part mm-hmm. of that was just to use their facilities, use their, their, their tools right. and so forth. And, and because I was also being helpful, they were saying, yeah, sure. Yeah. You could, you could sure. show up. And, Great. and so I, I did that for several semesters. And so then, um, continued to teach. <clears throat> um, and, uh, did it as a hobby, cool. uh, you know, doing it for family and friends, that sort of thing. Cool. Then, uh, by about, uh, you know, 10 years later, um, I stopped teaching at BYU and, uh, was then, uh, sort of looking at what to do next. Yeah. And I had a friend who said, well, Hey, uh, we want to get a new entryway in our house. Cool. Um, would you do some glass for this entryway? Cool. And I said, sure. And so that was my first paying project. Cool. Um, and fairly large. It was about 12 square feet. Wow. Um, and, and you're like in your mid forties. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I did that project and really enjoyed it. And then I thought, well, I can do this. I can do this. Oh, so then I, I got a business it. license and, yeah. you know, sort of hung out my shingle, so to speak. You oh know? my gosh. Uh, um, and uh, so now uh, I've been doing that for about six years, seven years, I guess now. Um, and you, you still have, you maintain like a full-time job or a part-time job? Uh, well, this year it's been full-time. Uh, oh, in, just because yeah, of just the because pandemic. The well, oh, just the because of the census, right? right? See, so that's see, a, see, that's a once every 10 years thing, right? Okay. Um, so so and, what do you do? What is your job? Like uh, aside from the glass? Um, well, just, just the census. That's all. But Oh, it's but, just so the that, census. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, okay. so it's been, you know, I, I'm an administrator for the okay. census. Okay. So, so basically an HR position. Okay. We had to hire over a thousand people. And now that it's wrapping up, we're going to have to fire a thousand people. And oh that involves gosh. paperwork and yeah, you know all that right. sort of thing. So, um, in those intervening years from the time I stopped at BYU until, uh, just this year, I was just a, you know, a part-time, you know, stained glass person, okay. part-time stay-at-home dad, if you will. Sure. Um, uh, cool. And, uh, I will. So. And I will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I loved that. That was, I, I really enjoyed um, being a part of my kids' lives, volunteering yeah. at school and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, does that feel creative, being a dad? Oh, sure. Like, Definitely. Do, do you want yeah, to say I mean, anything cooking, about that? Cooking is really creative, right? You take all these, you know, boring ingredients and you put it together to make food. And it's, I feel you know, the same way about make, that. You know, really yummy food. And, you know, I, I, there was a, lo- a lot about being a staying at home dad. I really enjoyed. I liked the flexible schedule. Yeah. I like the ability to sort of you know, do what I want when I want, um, to be able to, you know, go on field trips with the kids and, yeah. you know, whatever. Oh my gosh, I love um, it. That was very fun. Um, well, and like, again, I haven't been a parent, <clears throat> but I do teach kids mm-hmm. and I was a child. Um, I just think, I think parenting should be a creative endeavor because you're, every child is different. And so having a creative mind and creative skill sets with which you can say, how are, how am I going to craft my parenting for this child? Mm -hmm. That seems like it. Sh- should be a requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course well, it's, it's not. It's, it's a good opportunity. You, know, you get to go to the library with them. You get to go do fun things. You, you know, you take them down to the, you know, the craft show and you do fun things there. And, yeah. and you know, cool. so lots of great opportunities. So yeah. when you started doing glass, mm-hmm. did you feel like you, you know, met a, a part of yourself that you'd been missing or like, what did it feel like? Hmm. I know it's a super leading question, but like, yeah. did it feel like, 
oh, I should have always been doing this? Did it feel like I'm just ready for this now? Hmm. Well, certainly I, now I feel like I wish I would have started earlier yeah. in, in the sense that, you know, I would have been further along the, the technique curve, right? You know, sure. all, you know, all these artistic endeavors require uh, developing technique. And, yeah. uh, and so, you know, here I am 56 and I feel fairly competent yeah. with it, but you know, I wish I would have been you know, 20 years ago, sure. this competent and, and I would have had more time to develop yeah. the ideas and so forth. So, but you know, but you had been life, spending all is. of those years developing the other piece, yeah, yeah. And which you, is, you, yeah. Life can always could have been different, right? Sure. So you just sort of have to move forward. So during that, during that first decade before you got your first paying project, mm -hmm. were you mostly focusing on technique or were you also thinking about glasswork in an art kind of a way, like more technique, you know, okay. in the stained glass world, you know, there's lots of patterns that are already out there. You know, I, you know, I was trying to become a proficient craftsman, sure. you know, in the first, you know, number of years, yeah. just learning the technique. Uh, and it wasn't until, you know, I'd been doing it for several years that I started to think, you know, I, I want to start creating my own yeah. images, my, you know, my own yes. designs and so forth. And, and then I started to learn about, you know, the, uh, um, uh, well, for example, when you think of stained glass, you probably think of uh, Tiffany. You probably think of uh, stained glass windows in a church and things like that, right? But there's a whole nother world of of abstract art, you know, like stained glass. Sculptural. Glasses. Sculptural. That's something I'm doing right now yeah, that I, I'm really I enjoying. Love your but also, stuff. just even when it's even when it's two dimensional, just you know, doing you know abstract kinds of uh, of images yeah. that uh, you know that that are not you know, representational. Um, and you know, there's a whole tradition out of Europe, Germany, mostly, but not exclusively, uh, back in the, in the seventies, sixties, seventies that emerged. And that's, I love, love, love these artists. Um, T tell us about it. Like, what do you want? You know, so uh, again, I love having conversations about creativity and how thinking creatively helps us be better members of society. Yeah. And I also love hearing, artists talk about their very specific medium mm -hmm. and their very specific passions within that medium. Like, what do you want people to know about stained glass that we might not know? Well, you know, stained glass is the best medium, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? We all say that. We all love our medium. Mm -hmm. But I mean, part of what's special about stained glass is light mm -hmm. is a part of it in mm -hmm. a way that even, you know, you look at a painting, you have to have light that bounces off it yeah. to make it work but it doesn't usually go through it. Right. It doesn't animate the thing itself. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, the surface. It's on mm -hmm. a surface level. Whereas with stained glass, if you got no light or the wrong light, it's just dead. Yeah. And so um, light animates it. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, two years ago, I guess, I was out in, in Washington, D.C. again visiting with my wife and I went to the National Cathedral. Yeah. And it's a cathedral, sure, but... I have been there. Even even if, if it weren't a cathedral, being in that building that has glorious stained glass, yeah. just the color and the light, and, and part of what's wonderful about stained glass is you know the, the light, the sun that shines through and make, throws a, a colored projection against you know the floor, against the walls, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, I mean that's a that's a religious experience. Yeah. For, just. Even, even, you know, take out the, the imagery of Christ and so forth. Yeah. You know, and, and that's not insignificant, but even without that, yeah. um, even when it's abstract, um, 
it's just amazing. It's a spiritual uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. A year ago, I was in Iceland with my wife and saw some, you know, abstract images that were in churches, but there's nothing overtly Christian or even yeah. religious about some of the images, yeah. but they're just so powerful. Yeah. The color, the light, the, the combination, the line. Um, so the, that's what I love about stained glass cool. um, is the way the light plays and the color plays. So to a certain extent, I'm kind of a formalist. I, just the form, it doesn't even need to have any representational imagery to, to engage me. Yeah. And sometimes for me, as I create art, uh, sometimes the, the form comes first. And then as I think about it and look at it, you know, images or, or, or concepts will come to it yeah. after that. Interesting. And, and it'll start to mean something more. Um, though it's still, you know, fairly abstract and, you know, it might mean something very different to other people. Yeah, I love that. Um, but, yeah, I, so. um, I sometimes write songs in a similar way. Like I know, I know it's not the same because like words are words, mm -hmm. but I sometimes will try to do like a, almost like a, a collage of words mm. that like I'll, I'll gather some words that feel a certain way and then try to string them together. Yeah. And then sometimes a story emerges that maybe has like a meaning, but to me it started with more like, how do these words kind of in an abstract way, like feel Yeah. even down to like, how do they feel in my mouth? Mm. Like how do they feel being spoken and being pronounced? I like to do things like that too. Um, and you, you know, my podcast is called artifice which is a cool word, but also I like hearing people talk about how they conceptualize their medium, like the stuff that we wouldn't maybe ever see or know unless we ask you. And I, I like that idea of like, you start with a form and then maybe something that's more representational or, or an image or a concept sort of emerges from it. That's, yeah. that's interesting. And that's not something that I think people would guess. I think if there is an image, people will assume that's where you started. Mm -hmm. So even just, even just, I don't know, like lately I've been thinking a lot about how I think we generally perceive the word creativity to be an action word, like something that comes forward out of nothing. But I think if you really want to be creative, you have to spend just as much time maybe wondering about how something got made, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how an idea came to be, how a person came to be. And that's a creative endeavor too, even though you're not, um, you're not making anything. You're just, you're just studying or inferring or, you know, guessing mm -hmm. about how something was made, but you're exercising like the same muscle just in reverse. Um, and I, I like to do that. Just, it, it just keeps your, it keeps your paradigm shift muscle like real flexy. Mm -hmm. do, do you think? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, la last year I took a, a cl another class at BYU uh, because my wife teaches there. I can take classes. I can audit them for free, right? Cool. And so I took this class. Uh, shout out to Dan Barney. Hi, um, Dan Barney. Yeah, he, he's the <laughs> professor. Wonderful. He's a great guy. And it was a art theory and practice, something like that. And so it was more of a think process. We had to do it. art as well, yeah. but we did a lot of reading, a lot of talking and, and so forth. And, uh, uh, towards the end of it, he, 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 he was trying to push us a little bit. He's trying to you know get us to try different things. And, um, and that's when I, I, you know, because of his pushing, um, I had done a two dimensional object and that was sort of pushing some of the traditional ways that stained glass works in terms of design 
But he said, oh, you know, I like this, but I want you to push your technique even further. Do, and, and that's when I discovered, or, or not discovered, but for, for me, yeah. I, it was my first time of trying three-dimensional um, yeah. works in stained glass. Cool. And this was how um, many, last year? Yeah, it was last year. Oh my gosh, yeah. tell me everything. And um, like I said, a year and a half, I guess. is. Uh, so um, uh, at the same time, I don't know if you saw, there was a... Uh, an exhibit at BYU in the in museum called Wind Swept. Yes. Wonderful. So Amazing. I signed up and I volunteered to help yeah. build that. Should we just try to describe it? Uh, well, it's um, this artist. Oh, I've forgotten his name. I also oh, can't remember. Wind Swept. I want to say there was an S. <laughs> One of the names started with an uh, S. Yeah, I can't remember. Listen, but, I but, don't uh, know. <laughs> so this, this, this great artist, he, he goes around the, the world and he creates these large sculptures using willow yeah or other similar thin branched uh, yeah. plants right R ropish ropish woods yeah yeah and, and he uses those because they're they're you can harvest them easily they're sustainable they grow back uh they, they bend easily because that's his his images all have these flowing yeah like archways almost yeah, but yeah. that are like yeah and, and so he whenever he travels um and when he just does, does one of these installations and he does you know uh several a year around the world. Uh, he tries to, to bring some ideas with him, but he also tries to, to adapt those ideas to the place. Yeah, cool. So he came here, uh, we live among the mountains, right? Yeah. And so part of what his imagery Maybe was in his head was to create um, uh, a, a ridgeline sort of feeling or the yeah. archways like from yeah. Southern Utah, that sort right. of thing. Yeah. And so there's this, this big flowing, uh, you know, huge, I mean, it filled, filled a, a large room, Yeah. Um, this huge sculptural, yeah. Uh, piece. And so I was helping with that as well, just as a volunteer and helping to you know, build that. At the same time, my professor was saying, well, you got to try something different. So I thought, what if, you know, part of what I loved about that experience was being in, literally in and uh, among this sculpture because yeah. it's, you know, so big. And so you're walking through it, you're yeah. a part of it. And I thought, you know, what, what could I do with stained glass that's similar? Yeah. Um, and so I, I made several pieces that were, that are small, the sort of tabletop size. In my mind, they're, you know, six feet, 10 feet tall sure, so sure. that you could walk around it and get in it and so forth. Uh, the, sort of, that's cost prohibitive at this point sure. to, you know, to do it myself. But, uh, and then what do you do with it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Put it in a museum, I guess. Yeah. Well, I'd be happy to do that sometime <laughs> in the future, but at the moment they're just at home on my table and that yeah. sort of thing my, my, on my shelf. Um, so I, Will you I, describe them for the listener? Well, the first one I did was you know, something that a, a lot of very traditional thing that, that craft people do in stained glass is to create kaleidoscopes. Right, the little thing that you look yeah. through and, and it creates this beautiful Interesting. thing. Yeah. So I thought, what if you could get inside of that kaleidoscope? Yeah. What would that feel like and look like? Yeah. There's all these geometric colored shapes and they move around, right? Um, uh, oftentimes, uh, uh, geometric shapes are a big part of my art. And so I designed a, a simple, simple thing. It's just three flat panels that are come together in, in different planes. And then each of them is made, each panel is made up of multicolored glass, including cool. clear glass. Right. Cool. And so that in my mind's eye, this is, you know, six feet tall. And then, so you feel like you're sort of being inside this kaleidoscope. Yeah. Cool. Um, so that was the first one. Uh, then uh, later I've done one you know, that sort of tries to be evocative of walking through a slot Canyon. 
cool. Have you done that? Have you been to Slot Canyons in Southern I Utah? I have not, but I've oh, seen pictures. Yeah, you but need I to do that. Yeah. It's a magical experience. <laughs> Again, and magical, a reverential. Yeah. I mean, it's it's for me to be in in those spaces. Um, there's a feeling of of reverence, of yeah. awe, yeah. to be in a creation like that, something so beautiful. Yeah. And light, you know, the, in those in those when you go through a slot canyon, right? These these walls undulate and they move, mm-hmm. and they're sandstone, so they're all different colors and hues of oranges and browns yeah. and reds. And the light is coming down from the ceiling, from way up high, typically, mm-hmm. and at you know from from minute to minute because of the of how narrow they are, the sun will move and change the way they look. Yeah. And so I tried to create a piece that, that cool. did that. Um, I was, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago now, I was, uh, you know, on in one of the Facebook groups, the stained glass Facebook groups. Cool. And I saw someone who had done three-dimensional vases. Cool. Um, in stained glass. And so I thought, oh, that's another interesting idea. Yeah. And so then... I, I I made some waves. Yeah, I love your um, waves. Those are the ones that I've seen. Yeah, that's the most recent one. Yeah, uh, that I I've done is was a wave, um, in stained glass, uh, three dimensionally. It's sort of a an object. So so that that's, I, that's so something cool. I still want to pursue. This yeah. idea of three dimensionality. Uh, some things I'm working on. You're um, curious about it. Yeah, that's curious about awesome. how to use it. Uh, how to represent abstract ideas through you know using abstract images and yeah. and things like that. So yes, yeah. I love it. Um, what kind of like work are you getting hired for? Do you, are you still doing some of that stuff? Yeah, mostly. I mean, that's, you know, what you get hired for is something that's going to be in someone's home, yeah. right? Typically, um, unless you're a big studio and then there's, there's temples and churches and things sure. like that. But I'm a small one person studio in my, in my house. Yeah. So most of my pieces are, you know, between two and, oh, six square feet. Okay. I've done one as large as uh, 13 square feet. Cool. That was a wonderful project wow. uh, for someone's front door. Cool. This giant four foot across uh, piece of stained glass. What um, do people, I mean, do you sell your, you sell your pieces. You sure, sell sure. your, your waves. Anything's yeah. for sale. Yeah. Cool. I can always make another cool. one. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about like art and creativity and like the ways, like the hidden ways that it changes our lives and like humanity? Hmm. I mean, you seem to me like a person, like, I don't want to direct the question too much because I just think you probably know more about being a person than I do. Yeah. Well, I know about being me anyway. You have a little more experience than me. (laughs) I know about being me. Well, I guess, you know, sometimes I see people uh, who say, you know, art will change the world. And I say, well, maybe. (laughs) I I think that's that's a wonderful hope. And I think it can. It certainly has affected me, as has, you know, great literature and, and so forth. But there's no guarantee. Mm-hmm. We can find lots of examples of, of people who were highly technically proficient, who were even cutting edge when it came to, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of art. But when I look at their larger lives, I think, well, that guy was kind of a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was just, <laughs> I mean, you know, setting aside any, you know, specifically Mormon 
uh, you know, morality uh, yeah. kinds of things. You just think, you know, that guy was just really a jerk. Yeah, like the fruits, the fruits here are not. Yeah, there's no guarantee. Just because you're an amazing artist doesn't necessarily mean that you might be an amazingly good person. That's true. You still I forget might be a about jerk. that sometimes because I just the the artists that I know in my life have been like my favorite people in my yeah, life. Yeah. You know, um, and I yeah I I tend to think of it personally less like art will change the world and maybe more like hopefully art changes the artist mm-hmm. and then the artist can change yeah. their relationships or how they you know how they affect the world um but you're right like it totally doesn't always work like that um do you have thoughts about like you know kind of my premise that um that creative thinking like can potentially help us understand each other better. Well, I think certainly it provides the opportunity for reflection, right? Yeah. I mean, right now, something I'm this is very much in the doodling, you know, scribbling. I always carry pieces of paper and, and a pen in my pocket yeah. so that I can, you know, make. So I was listening to a podcast um, recently, um, <clears throat> you know, because of this whole COVID thing, church has been largely canceled, right? And so every Sunday, um, there's a, the, a shout out to Dialogue and their Sunday school, yeah. their Sunday cool. lessons. And uh, there's a professor at BYU. I, I don't know her well. I've met her before, but uh, her name is uh, uh, Ronnie Draper, I believe. Cool. And she taught uh, a lesson about uh, from the Book of Mormon. And she talked about, you know, what if, what if instead of all these preparations for war that we read about in the Book of Mormon sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So much. She said, what if we spent all our time thinking about tools and preparation for peace? Yeah. And if we put as much effort mm-hmm. in, and money mm-hmm. and time into preparing for peace instead. Yeah. And so I've, that's something that I'm trying to figure out how to capture. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, and, and, and then maybe that just allows, you know, someone who sees those pieces that may or may not come to fruition in the future, right? Uh, they might see them, I'm hopeful, and say, yeah, what What if we did that? Yeah. What if instead of sp- spending trillions of dollars to be better warriors as a country... We invest in Yeah, we invested peace. in becoming better, peaceful yeah. members of the world. Yeah. I, I think it'd be a better world. I, yeah. yeah, 100%. So, how could it not be? Yeah. Um, so, so that's something I'm trying to figure out, is, is how to tie some of these abstract ideas to abstract stained glass art. Sure. Whether that's flat, whether it's three-dimensional. Um, I don't know. We'll see yeah, how that I'm goes. I'm doing the same. Th- I'm always trying to do the same thing in my work, which, again, <laughs> lyrics are much more... They're just inherently yeah, there's, there's a there's, they're more laden with value, right? And, and with, they're just with a meaning. little bit less abstract, even if yeah. you mean them to yeah. be abstract. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they just they can be perceived in like a non-abstract way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I think I just have one more question. You know, I I want to I I find myself frequently wanting to ask like religious people who are creative, like how do you do that? How do you like I like I want to um I'm 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 invested in the pursuit of trying to help religious people understand that they don't need necessarily need to be scared of mm-hmm. people who aren't. Um and we talked about that a bit. Do you feel like there's anything that you would want 
for like non-religious people to, you know, think more creatively about like in the other direction. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I guess in the same sort of way that earlier we were talking about how um, when you grow up in a homogeneous place and, and community and we look outside, we, we, we might be scared, we might be skeptical, we might be concerned, right? But then once you get to know people, you say, oh, there's good people everywhere. Yeah. Every persuasion or lack thereof, you know, religious persuasion, every, you know, community, ethnic community, you know, there are good people and bad people of all yeah. sorts, right, in, in all of them. So I guess, you know, from the other side, um, I, 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 th- I think most people, most people get this, but people say, oh, so... So you're Mormon. Wow, that's weird. Mm-hmm. I would have had no idea, mm-hmm. you know, from some of the other things that I do or think or... Sure. Um, and um, so I guess um, you're recognizing that, that there are lots of different kinds of yeah. Mormons, right? Just being curious. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but there are lots of ways to do that. Yeah. You know, this, is, this might be a, a little bit on the edge, Go for for it. some people, I'm so ready. Um, for, for some people, but I mean, you remember that I'm a Mormon campaign yeah. from a couple of years ago. Uh-huh. You know, I thought that was genius. Yeah. For for to project an image outside of the LDS Church, mm-hmm. but also within the LDS Church, mm-hmm. because it said there are lots of ways to do this right. Mm-hmm. There are lots of ways to be. Yeah. And. Uh, we would sit down. That's what we would do with our family all the time is watch those just mm-hmm. to say, wow, look at this amazing. And, and, and just as a kind of interesting aside, there are probably five or six of those people who were, who were interviewed during yeah. those things who I knew yeah. from all over the world. From, we lived in New Zealand for a time. Yeah. So there's, there was one from New Zealand. Mm. I went to college with a woman uh, from Germany. She was in it. Uh, I, I, uh, some of the local folks who, you know, yeah. some of the local artists who I know. So it was just like, how is this possible? It's a, it's a small world. It's sort of a weird thing. You yeah. know, people all around the world, but who I just through weird circumstances happen to know. Yeah. And so that was really, really cool um, to see, you know, lots of different ways to be a, a member of the church. Yeah. I feel the same way about it. And, <clears throat> and I think I spent enough time in that in that world that I, that I understand a little what it feels like. And yeah, I I always just feel like no matter what the situation is, like extend curiosity toward people, give people like a chance to tell you like what is interesting about them because most people are very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you might have to be creative with how you ask questions and how you look for that common ground or how you, um, yeah, how you try to find where you, where you do agree. Um, and I think it's a, it's a valuable pursuit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I ask everybody at the end, what's your dream collaboration or mm. your dream project, but I prefer collaboration because it's dream collaboration. just more human, you know, but if you're a solo worker, then you can just describe your dream project. Mm, that's a hard one. And I would accept collaborations like I'd love to have a piece in this space or, mm-hmm. you know, it can be, we can stretch the meaning of what the word collaboration means. I guess uh, one of, you know, part of it would be able to do, to do some of these things that I have in my mind. Big. In scale. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I told you about this, this little kaleidoscopic piece. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, about a cubic foot. So last year when we were in, in Iceland um, at the airport, there was a piece that's pretty similar. That's like 60 feet tall. Cool. And so when I saw that, it was, it, it was just like, Wow. You know, yes, that idea I had in my head, you know, a couple of years ago. Would work and would, would be awesome. It is awesome, yeah. right? I mean, just look at that, you know, to take this little thing and, you know, make it gigantic. Yeah. And so when we were, you know, at the airport, we, were, we, had, we had, you know, turned in our luggage and we were waiting for our plane. And so I went back outside and spent, I don't know, just sort of 20 minutes. I didn't climb on it. <laughs> I wanted to. I did want to because it's like a giant jungle gym filled yeah. with stained glass. Cool. Um, but I, I I walked in it and I laid down and took pictures from the you know ground up and cool. I you know, shot lots of different angles and so so I I think you know being able to do some of my work on on the scale that yeah. I you know would like to. Uh, I would venture would to say time. that's collaborative with the public. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. You know? Certainly. Certainly. Yeah. Um, there are. That's something I've looked into a little bit, not a lot yet. I'm still, it's still daunting, mm-hmm. you know, to, you know, it's public, public spaces yeah. art. I'm so interested in um, public spaces art. Uh, because th- those are, you know, big and they yeah. have a, a, a big budget. And so you, you can think big. Yeah. And they have um, a, a big presence and a big yeah. far reaching effect. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, to be able to do something like that, that on scale, that'd be yeah. fun. That'd be really fun. Finally, tell the listener where to find your work and to find you and to see what you've done and talk to you. All if right. They want well, to. Um, my website is mountainlightglazier.com. Um, glazier is a traditional word for one who works with the windows, right? Awesome. And so yeah. the idea was my sons. Um, you know, we live it. in the mountains and light had to be a part of it. You know, several yeah. years ago, I, I asked lots of friends and family, you know, what should I name this new business? And so this was my son's idea, Mountain Light Glazier. Um, cool. So that's where you can see my work there. Cool. Great. Mark, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. It was fun. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from my album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel and ad segment music by Jerem Hansen. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, please send me a note through my website, emvocals.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.